We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, Arrival, The King is Here. Join us as we look at Advent through the lens of the Incarnation. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. School systems in a large city had a program to help kids out when they were hospitalized so they wouldn't fall behind in their schoolwork. So one day, a teacher that was assigned to the program got a routine phone call to pay a visit to a particular child. She got the boy's name and room number at the hospital and went to speak briefly with the classroom teacher of the boy. We're studying adverbs and nouns, the teacher said, and I would be so grateful to you if you could help him understand them so that he wouldn't fall behind in school. So that afternoon, the program teacher went to the hospital to visit the boy. Now, no one had mentioned to program teacher that the boy had been severely burned and was in a lot of pain. So upset at the boy's appearance, the program teacher kind of stammered and said, um, I'm here from the school and uh, I'm here to help you with your nouns and your adverbs. The next day, when the program teacher arrived at the hospital, a nurse said to her, what did you do to the boy? The teacher was scared. She thought she had done something wrong. And the nurse was like, no, 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 no. You misunderstand me. We were so worried about this little boy. But after you left yesterday, his whole attitude changed. It's like he began to fight again. The treatments worked. It's as though he decided to live again. Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up on hope until the day that teacher arrived. He'd come to the simple realization, and this is what he said, you wouldn't send a teacher to work in nouns and adverbs with a boy that was dying, right? Hope is powerful. It can change lives. But who or what we put our hope in matters. So what does hope mean, or what is hope defined as? We look at dictionary.com here. It's a feeling that what is wanted can be had, or that events will turn out for the best, or a person or thing in which expectations are centered. But what's biblical hope? This is a definition from the Bible Project. It's about waiting or tense expectation. It's not based on circumstances, but based on a person. God's faithfulness motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than the character of God. And that's Advent. Advent is looking forward to Jesus' second arrival by looking backward at his first arrival. So my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Community Church. And today we get to start our Advent series. Christmas brings different memories for different people. For some, Christmas is a time of glad tidings and good cheers. 
For others, Christmas brings or triggers painful memories of loss and loneliness. As we begin this Advent series, we want you to be reminded and maybe know for the first time that we can bring both our joys and our sorrows to the one whose miraculous life birthed this season. The good news for Christmas revelers and Christmas scrooges and everyone in between is that Jesus came to you and me, ordinary people, to bring hope, peace, love, and joy. Now, all of us are familiar with the Christmas story and the many characters in the Christmas story. But unlike a movie, in the Christmas story, there are no extras. Every character that's mentioned in the biblical account of Jesus' birth was there for a reason. Today, I want you to explore with me the lives of these characters and see how their stories connect with his story in demonstrating the hope we have in Jesus. So we're going to start out with a very familiar passage. This is often read around Christmas time, uh, Luke 2. And we're going to look at what the facts and the context of this passage and the period in which Jesus was born can tell us about hope. So if you look on the screen or you can look in your Bibles and we'll read Luke 2, 1 through 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So as we look at the start of this passage, we can see the details that Luke includes for the benefit of his audience. The names and the time frame mentioned here are not superfluous information, but rather anchors or pinpoints in time to help us to get our bearings as we read this story. The birth of Jesus is not a fairy tale or just a good story as some people would want us to believe, but a real event that happened at a very specific point in time, in a very specific place in time. As we read this text, we can easily glance over the details and accept them as just pure historical facts. But Luke includes the details to highlight God's sovereign hand at work. And as we continue through this passage, you'll see that theme throughout the story. So we get Caesar Augustus. He orders a census. Joseph happens to have to travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register because he's from the line of David, in the house of David. Mary, who's engaged to Joseph, travels with him. And by the way, she happens to be pregnant and a virgin. What are the odds? Though these may seem like random events in history, they are not. God and his sovereignty move all the right people and events to make this moment 
in time. A moment in time that would usher in the birth of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies that speak about the Messiah. These prophecies are specific enough that the probability of Jesus fulfilling a handful of them, let alone all of them, would seem improbable, if not impossible. But we'll just see a sampling of these prophecies, and the fact is, Jesus did fulfill them, and he fulfilled all of them. Throughout the Bible, we see Jesus' advent planned from the very beginning, starting with the line of Abraham. So we'll see in Genesis 12:3 that the nations would be blessed through the line of Abraham. We have the text Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we see the fulfillment of that written in Acts 3, 25 to 26. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, speaking of Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We see prophesied in 2 Samuel that David's offspring would have an eternal kingdom. Let's look at 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we see this fulfilled as is written in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It was prophesied in Micah that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 reads, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And we see that fulfilled as it's written in Matthew 2, 4 through 6. When he had called together, this is King Herod, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. As we see through the fabric of time, in the very beginning, God had rolled out his plan step by step to bring salvation to his people and ultimately to us through Jesus. This birth is no random event, but the handiwork of the Heavenly Father who loved us so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
That's John 3.16. So we can see through these, through the context of this passage, through the events that were happening around Jesus' birth, that we can hope in Jesus because God is at work to fulfill his plan to redeem the world through Jesus. One of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings, we meet an unlikely hero named Frodo Baggins, who volunteers to take the ring of power to Mordor to destroy it, thus defeating the evil Lord Sauron. The hope of Middle-earth rests on this little hobbit. Forces were at work so that the ring's burden landed in Frodo's lap. Forces that were at work to bring him to the infamous Mount Doom where the ring was forged to destroy it. There's a scene in the movie where Frodo is lamenting to Gandalf, his guide, Gandalf the wizard, if you're not familiar with the movie. He's lamenting about all that he's had to endure, the hardships and trials and this challenging road that was ahead of him. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. This Christmas season, I invite you to contemplate all that God has done to bring you here, right now, in this time, in this place. It's not a mistake. He wants you to hear, to know, and to be reminded that he moved time and space to bring Jesus into this world so that you can know him and receive his message of hope and salvation. You might recognize these people in this picture. <laughs> September 7th, 2002, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Susan and I stood before God, our family, and our friends, and we recited vows we had made, committing to honor God with our marriage, to be faithful to one another. Part of the vows that we recited are very common. Um, the rest of them we did kind of create on our own. But vows that you've heard many times at a wedding, for better or for worse, for sickness and in health, till death do us part. I remember saying those vows with confidence, but honestly, I really didn't know what was in store for us. I didn't envision episodes of deep depression we would walk through, the hospital visits, the long sleepless nights, the intense arguments we would share. I was only thinking of living, living happily ever after. And so it was with Joseph, a young man engaged to be married, looking at his future, full of potential, filled with hopes and dreams. And so it was with Mary, a young peasant girl engaged to be married with hopes of starting a family. It's in the midst of this dreaming, in the midst of their hoping that their future and their faith would be tested. Mary was engaged to Joseph. In that culture, when you were engaged, there was a binding covenant between a man and a woman. 
there were expectations to be filled by both parties and obviously fidelity to the engagement was one of them. The story is so familiar to us that sometimes we gloss over the details. So I want to kind of zoom in and look at the life of Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Before Mary and Joseph tied the knot, Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. We don't know how. All we know is Joseph found out, but we can imagine the difficult conversation Joseph had with Mary. Unlike today, where oftentimes sexual activity is assumed among couples in a dating relationship, Joseph and Mary had not yet been intimate. Their conversation probably went something like this. This is Mary. Uh, Joseph, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but I didn't cheat on you. An angel spoke to me and said I would be pregnant and it would come through the Holy Spirit, but I'm still a virgin. And Joseph probably responding, Mary, are you serious? How do you expect me to believe this story? How can you be pregnant and still a virgin? How does that work? Who is the guy? Where is he? We have the benefit of reading this story 2,000 years later, and we know what happened. But at that moment, at that time, for Joseph, finding this out, it was probably like a ton of bricks had just been dropped on him. Remember, Joseph hadn't seen the angel yet. He was faithfully living his life, working as a carpenter, doing his best to build a life and a future for his family. He trusted Mary to be faithful, and he pledged his life to her. Now it seems Mary had cheated on him and had betrayed him. According to Jewish customs, breaking an engagement was considered worse than breaking a business contract. Now Joseph had two options. He could publicly shame Mary by bringing charges against her before the religious leaders, thereby forfeiting any money that he had given to Mary's father as a dowry and subjecting her to possible death by stoning or divorce her quietly. Author Douglas O'Donnell wrote, on one shoulder, Joseph has the righteous requirement of God's law whispering in his ear. You have to expose her error. This sin cannot go unpunished. On the other shoulder is the compassion and mercy of God's law. Now, scripture doesn't tell us how long Joseph weighed his options. But if you've ever had to make a difficult decision, you can imagine the amount of tension and perhaps anxiety that Joseph was feeling. I can just picture him pacing back and forth in his room, praying to God, asking for wisdom, saying, God, seriously, why did this have to happen? Is this for real? Hoping and praying that he would wake up and this would be just a dream and everything would be back to normal. But it wasn't a dream. And Joseph had made up his mind. 
He showed that he had compassion and mercy, and he decided to divorce her quietly. However, living in a small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everything about everybody, a quiet divorce hardly stays quiet. Joseph would have still had to endure the shame and embarrassment among his family and his friends and his community. He would have to endure the endless questions about who the father of the baby was and what went wrong. But by divorcing her quietly, he would also be following his convictions. However, just as we saw in the first point, you see this theme throughout the story, God was at work. And God intervened before Joseph made any act. He sent Gabriel to Joseph in a dream. Armed with the word of God through the angel, Joseph, or Jesus rather, Joseph puts his hope in his unborn son, believing him to be who God said he was. Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, and Emmanuel, God with us. The text tells us that after Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel commanded him to do, and he took Mary home to be his wife. His hope and faith in God, ultimately his hope in Jesus, empowered him to do the right thing, to make the hard choice. By saying yes to God, Joseph was saying no to his reputation and his community. He was saying no to perhaps his business ventures. I know he was a carpenter. And this is a part of the Christmas story that we often don't really think much of. Joseph would forever bear the shame of the sins he didn't commit. In his book, The Characters of Christmas, Daniel Darling writes, just as Jacob's son, Joseph, in the book of Genesis, would be asked to endure a difficult life he didn't envision and to bear the sins he didn't commit, so too with this Joseph. Yet Joseph's shame would foreshadow the shame that Jesus one day would bear on behalf of Joseph, Mary, and the rest of the world. See that theme of God at work? Mary was also no stranger to shame. Mary was like every other Jewish peasant girl in Nazareth, living an ordinary life in an ordinary town with ordinary dreams of getting married and raising a family. Kent Hughes describes Mary's potential future before Gabriel's fateful visit. From all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in the nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Yet, it's the same Mary that not only receives the announcement of the Christ child, but is chosen by God to bear the Son of God. This Mary that would have the Holy Spirit overshadow her and she would become pregnant with Jesus. This Mary that had to bear the shame of being pregnant before her marriage to Joseph was consummated. This Mary that would have to bear the shame of being thought of as an adulterer. This Mary whom the angel called, you who are highly favored. This Mary who had to travel over 80 miles over rough terrain 
while pregnant. Now, most versions of the story show Mary riding on a donkey. But if you look in scripture, there's no indication that she was riding on a donkey when she traveled. It would take roughly two hours to travel about 80 miles today with the car and the roads that we have, and maybe 34 hours to walk that distance. For Mary and Joseph, it was probably more like a five-day journey. If you've ever been pregnant before, <laughs> you know how uncomfortable it can get, especially when you're moving towards the ninth month of the pregnancy. Can you imagine walking over 80 miles? The Nativity is one of my favorite Christmas movies, and I love how it portrays the conditions that Mary and Joseph had to endure traveling to Bethlehem. They were walking out in the open. You know, they were basically at risk of getting robbed, um, at risk of just anything, everything from the elements and people around them. Talk about crazy adventure to start your marriage. And it's this Mary that had to give birth to her first child without the help of a midwife or any family around to support her. And she gave birth in a cave where animals are housed. Can you imagine the smell? How did she do it? This Mary was maybe as young as 12. She had barely lived much of a life. But she did it by putting her hope and her faith in God. She did it by putting her hope and her faith in Jesus, believing that he would be who the angel said he would be. Luke 1, 32-33 He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary surrendered to God's will. We see in Luke 1.38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. In order to lay any fears and doubts Mary had, and I'm sure she had a lot of fears and doubts, the angel also told her that her cousin Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Elizabeth, who happened to be barren and also of old age. And he finishes his pronouncement to Mary with these profound and powerful words in Luke 137. For no word from God will ever fail. Amen. Warren Worsby writes, she experienced the grace of God and believed the word of God and therefore she could be used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. We learn from Mary and Joseph that hope in Jesus empowers us to do the right and hard thing. Joseph and Mary are ordinary people like you and me. They faced extraordinarily difficult circumstances, yet their faith in God, ultimately their faith and hope in Jesus, the Son of God, gave them the strength to do the right thing to trust God at his word and to follow his lead, even if it meant taking the hard and narrow road, even if it meant public disgrace and shame, even if it meant isolation from 
friends and family and not living a comfortable or easy life. During this Advent season, as we approach the birth of Christ, I invite you to contemplate the challenges you're facing now. Maybe it's a broken relationship, unemployment, physical sickness, emotional distress, depression, anxiety, fear, or doubt. Maybe you're having some difficult choices to make regarding your current living situation or your employment or your job, your child care, whatever, whatever it may be. We just finished a series on finances, which actually I thought was very appropriate as we enter Christmas season. It's oftentimes Christmas, I don't know, I think most of us sometimes spend out of our means during this Christmas season. Maybe you're or convicted that you need to get your finances in order and it might take some tough tough choices whatever it may be I encourage you to ask God to take him at his word and to celebrate in his promises that his word does not fail and does not return void put your hope in Jesus the one who loved you so much that he died for you to give you the strength to do the right thing and make that hard choice. We're going to continue to dive into the story and see what we can learn about hope from the next set of characters, the shepherds. Let's look at Luke 2, 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those of whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In our culture today, Nothing major happens without a lot of fanfare. You get a lot of publicity, a lot of social media coverage. You would think that God, coming in the flesh, born as a helpless baby, would be newsworthy of heralds sent around the world to announce the birth of Jesus. If not to the world, at least to the leaders of the world. Yet we see in Luke's account that Jesus birth was first announced to shepherds 
the Lord, our shepherd. His birth was announced to the shepherds. The Lamb of God who was slain, his birth was announced to shepherds taking care of lambs. See God's work, his creativity. In the first century, nobody thought shepherds were important. They had to live outside of any city because of their occupation. And the only reason they held any status was because the sheep that they were raising were a valuable commodity, especially during Passover. God included the shepherds in the Christmas story to remind us that the kingdom of God isn't just for insiders, but for outsiders like the shepherds, like the poor classes, like Joseph, that Mary and Joseph came from. We are being reminded that Emmanuel, God with us, means that God is truly among all of us, not just the wealthy or the connected. The angels declare to the shepherds in Luke 10, I bring you good news that will bring will cause great joy for all the people. And we saw that earlier, the whole theme of all in the prophecy spoken about Abraham, how the nations, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. This is a picture of Nagasi. He's in the middle there. He's an Ethiopian. He was raised in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was raised in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. But oddly enough, he also went to a school that taught him how to do witchcraft. Now, he had a business, a pharmacy business. And one of the things that he did in his business would help people by casting spells and so a man came to him and told him that his sister had become a penti now in ethiopia penti is a derogatory term that refers to someone that has become a biblical christian and this man had told nagasi that his sister was possessed by a demon now for nagasi he had grown up believing that becoming a penti was the most evil thing that could happen to someone in Ethiopia. So he was determined to do whatever was in his power to cast a spell in order to deliver the demon from this girl. But he needed to have the girl brought to his store. So the man agreed and paid Nagasi for half of the fees that would cost Nagasi to perform this task. Well, six months later, this man shows up in Nagasi's store with his sister, and Nagasi had totally forgotten the agreement that he had made with this man and didn't even get the supplies that he needed in order to perform the, the spells that he needed to deliver the demon from this woman. And so this man was enraged, and he filed charges against Nagasi. Nagasi was arrested. He was tried and he was sentenced to over three years in prison. During his imprisonment, Nagasi began to think God was punishing him because of his witchcraft. One day he cried out to God with a broken spirit, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in your home with you in heaven. But if there's any place outside your home for me, please allow me to go there. Nagasi didn't believe he could 
have a place in heaven with God, but through a dream, Nagasi was told that the salvation he was seeking could be found in the Gospels. And after a deeper study of the life of Jesus, he concluded that salvation is found through faith in Christ alone. Nagasi experienced firsthand that hope in Jesus isn't just for the religious, or for those who do good things, or are well-educated, or well-connected, but for the prisoner, the one who practiced witchcraft, the one who unknowingly cheated his customer. Nagasi learned that hope in Jesus is for all people. We can see in this story that the shepherds became the first evangelists as they shared the good news that they received about Jesus. And just like Nagasi, their lives were transformed. And they glorified and praised God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. During this Advent season, as you contemplate the good news of Jesus' birth, and what that means for you and all of the world, what will your response be? Will you be like the shepherds and like Nagasi, praising God, and sharing the good news of Jesus' birth. Because hope in Jesus is for all people. And Christmas season is sometimes one of the best times to share the reason for our hope in Jesus. So I hope you'll join with me in praying for those opportunities. We're going to look at one, one more set of characters in this story as we look at Luke 2, 22 to 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that we will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Benuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
when Jesus was born, Israel was under Roman occupation and oppression. The people of God were weary and downtrodden. Once a mighty nation, the people of God were a divided kingdom, often ruled by wicked rulers that would lead them farther and farther away from the worship of the one true God. Now, there would be occasional revivals and periods of renewal where they would repent and turn back to God. They even returned to their homeland, rebuilt the city and the temple, but they never would return to their glory days. Prophets promised a time when the Messiah would come and rescue Israel from their oppression. But the time and time again, the people of God would be subjugated to slavery and oppression from one nation after another. God had not spoken to Israel for over 400 years. They had lost hope. So on that fateful day, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to contemplate or to complete the purification rites, nobody in the temple was looking for the Christ child. Nobody, nobody in the temple was looking for the Savior. Well, almost nobody. Among the crowd that day, unlike their peers or the religious leaders, Simeon and Anna held on to the prophetic words of God spoken over 400 years ago by the coming Messiah. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon and Anna, but this is what Luke had to tell us about them. Simeon was a righteous and devout follower of God. He was waiting for Israel's salvation, and he knew it wouldn't come through any earthly king or kingdom. He was filled with the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God and put his trust and his hopes in the Son of God. We don't know how long Simeon waited to meet, meet Jesus. I can only imagine him going to the temple every day and praying, Okay, God, is this the day it's going to happen? Is this the day that I'm going to meet Jesus? Then the day came. And led by the Holy Spirit, Simeon goes to the temple, sees Joseph and Mary there, and embraces Jesus. All that time spent waiting. His faith in this promised Messiah sustained him. And now he got to meet him face to face. He got to meet the one whom the prophecy spoke about. The one God promised he would make into an everlasting kingdom. The suffering servant the scripture spoke about. The conquering king. Luke tells us Anna was a prophet who spent most of her life in the temple, fasting and praying. She had been a widow for over 77 years and held fast to the promise of the Messiah. More than providing predictions, Anna's presence in the temple was to remind a weary people of God's promises and his faithfulness to follow through on those promises. Just as Simeon was interacting with Joseph and Mary, Anna joins in and corporately Simeon praises God for Jesus. And then Anna goes on to tell everybody else about Jesus, everyone who is looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. We see in Simeon and Anna's story that hope in Jesus sustains us as we wait on him to do what he promised to do. 
The past four months has been a hard and a dark season for our family. We went through COVID and a slew of other difficult things following COVID. I knew God's promises for my life, and I knew he would walk with me through the darkness. But it seemed like the darkness would never lift. I realized I was praying more for a miracle than I was praying for more of Jesus. Now, it's not wrong to pray for a miracle. God tells us to come to him with our requests, and the scriptures tell us that God can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. But I was convicted that I needed more of Jesus to walk with me in the doubt, to walk with me in the fear, to walk with me in the anxiety. And once I put my hope and faith in Jesus alone, the darkness lifted. And we saw the light. And we saw healing, experienced healing in our family. We're coming on two years of this COVID pandemic. No one has been left unscathed. You either know someone that has passed away or someone you love has passed away. Just a couple weeks ago, we said goodbye to our brother Edgar as he was laid to rest. Most of us have faced hardships in these last two years that we never thought we would face. I invite you during this Advent season, contemplate how God has met you during those hardships and celebrate how he has sustained you. Maybe today as you're sitting here, you're not there yet. Maybe you feel that you're still in the thick of the fight. You're still in the dark night of the soul. You feel stuck. That's okay. Jesus wants you to come to him. He wants you to ask him to fill you with faith so that you can put your hope in him. So you can experience his faithfulness and experience his power to sustain you through the darkness. Notice I said through the darkness because we're promised that even we, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with us. It doesn't end there. We know there's light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. He promises to draw near to you if you draw near to him. This Christmas story is so familiar to all of us. We hear it every year. And sometimes it becomes so familiar to us that it's like background noise. Sort of like the background music uh, we were hearing when we were eating our Chick-fil-A meal last night. You, don't, you know it's there, but you don't pay attention. Someone might say, what song was that? You're like, what song? But that's why I love Advent so much. It's a, by observing Advent, you are forcing yourself to slow down, to pause, to contemplate, to reflect, and celebrate, to be take on an intentional rhythm, to observe and really reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Today, as we begin our Advent series, my prayer is that you can be encouraged that throughout the fabric of time, God's been at work. 
wants you to know that we can hope in Jesus because he's at work to fulfill his plan. He's at work. He's still working to fulfill his plan to redeem the world through Jesus. Hope in Jesus empowers us to do the hard and right thing. Hope in Jesus is for all people. And hope in Jesus sustains us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as we close, before we go into the communion, we're going to do something that we haven't really done here, probably since the time of Pastor Duane, our founding pastor. But I'm going to we have the lights dim as we have some just quiet piano music in the background. I ask you to stand up I know sometimes at the end of service we invite you to come to the back and you can receive prayer from the elders. And there's nothing wrong with that. As an elder team, we would love to pray for each and every one of you. But all of us have been charged with caring and praying for each other. So during this time, I'm just going to ask you, to, if you feel comfortable, I know with COVID sometimes people are a little bit cautious about touching one another. You don't have to touch them, but if you can put your hand to the person to your right and just say a prayer over them. It could be something as simple as a pray over this Christmas season that you would know the hope of Jesus in a powerful way. So just take a moment to do that. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.